Okay, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this uh, rather special discussion this evening. And uh, special thanks for you, to come, for you coming out on a rather cold, damp Friday evening. So we much appreciate your uh, attendance and indeed anyone else who comes as well. Today, the LSE has been very proud to host a number of professors of modern Greek studies from around the world. We're hosting professors uh, from Australia, Austria, the United States, Canada, Portugal, as well as the UK. We've had a private convocation, as it were, this morning and this afternoon uh, to discuss the mission of modern Greek studies, the institutional location and governance of our chairs of modern Greek studies, how we fund our activities, how we adapt, that is, how we adapt to a number of things, new trends in our academic disciplines, changes in student demand, and the need to place Greece uh, as a case in a wider thematic set of perspectives. Trust me, I can truly say that we have worked our guests very hard uh, today as they are uh, assenting. Um, and I'm very grateful for their commitments, their willingness to travel so far, uh, and staying with the day's business uh, meetings. I'd also like to uh, thank on your behalf and my behalf as well, our team in the Hellenic Observatory. Uh, we have a truly great team of support uh, and this kind of event, and indeed the kind of events which are flashing before you perhaps all too quickly, uh, could not be sustained without the team uh, that we have in the Hellenic Observatory. The commitment, the professionalism, and the care, and the collegiality is very much appreciated. After the convocation, rather like bishops, we're now ready to come out and proselytize about uh, modern Greek uh, studies. Uh, our question tonight might seem rather old. What is modern about modern Greece? But of course, it has many dimensions, historical, cultural, political, economic, etc., etc., also, the question of what is modern about modern Greece has been brought into acute relief, of course, by the current debt crisis and the position of Greece in the Eurozone. With two bailouts, possibly three, the rest of Europe has looked much more skeptically on what is modern about Greece uh, in the contemporary period. Of course, our question, questions beg more questions, deeper questions, about the form of Greece's historical developments, Greece's engagement with the rest of Europe, and with Greece's exceptionalism. What is Greece a case of, and how far are we claiming it is unique? As academics, of course, we're called to avoid ghettoization and cultural essentialism. For the conception of the modern travels well beyond the Greek case, of course. In, other, in, another, in another sense, the question we're addressing 
connects with the future of the academic field, how we take modern Greek studies forward and how we adapt to current pressures. As the discussion tonight proceeds, I hope we will have a number of uh, contributions, certainly from our guests in the, as it were, the posh seats here at the front, uh, but also from the rest of you, many and wide-ranging uh, contributions. Now, to kick-start the discussion, we have three internationally leading scholars in the field, and I'm delighted to welcome them. Professor Vasilis Lambropoulos has the uh, Kavafi Chair in Modern Greek and is in the Department of Classical Studies and Comparative Literature in the University of Michigan. He's, of course, written very extensively. Uh, notable uh, works include Literature as National Institution, Studies in the Politics of Modern Greek Criticism, the Rise of Eurocentrism, Anatomy of Interpretation, and The Tragic Idea. He's currently working on a book on revolution as tragedy in modern Greek drama. Professor Stathis Kalivas is the Arnold Wolfers Professor of Political Science and Director of the Program on Order, Conflict and Violence at Yale University. He is the author of Modern Greece, What Everyone Should Know, a very good title for a forthcoming book, which will be published by Oxford University Press. <coughs> You'll know his previous works, no doubt, The Logic of Violence in Civil War and The Rise of Christian Democracy in Europe. In 2008, he was elected to the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Last but not least, Professor Molly Green is in the Department of History and the Seeger Center for Hellenic Studies at Princeton University. She is an Ottoman historian with a particular interest in the history of the Greeks under Ottoman rule. Her focus is on the classical period 1300 to 1800. Her first book, A Shared World, Christians and Muslims in the Early Modern Mediterranean considered the transition from Venetian to Ottoman rule on the island of Crete. And her second book, Catholic Pirates and Greek Merchants, A Maritime History of the Mediterranean, was a study of the confrontation between Greek shipping and Catholic priority in the 17th century. We have three outstanding internationally acclaimed scholars to address the question this evening. And then we will be opening up the discussion, as I say, to our guests and to the wider audience. We've invited our panellists to speak for no more than ten minutes. Uh, and then we will be able to have many contributions from the floor. So, without further ado, can I ask Vasilis Lambropoulos to kickstart our discussion? Good afternoon and good evening, and um, uh, 
thanks to Kevin and to the observatory and to LSE for inviting us. It has been a very uh, inspiring and exciting day. And in the interest of time, uh, and in order to observe the 10-minute uh, limit, I've written four pages that I'm going to just read. <clears throat> I will open up our conversation by focusing on the domain of culture, which is probably the domain that is most pertinent to our topic. Some of the most ambitious and influential arguments about the uniqueness of Greece's modern identity have been made in areas like literature, music, the arts, scholarship, thought, and highbrow media. I have four points to make. One, Greece, in quotation marks, uh, became a highly contested notion during the quarrel of the ancients and the moderns in France, which started in 1688, and the Battle of the Books in England, which started in 1690. At issue in these debates were a new sense of historical time, the norms of reason, the conventions of imitation, and the standards of interpretation. The controversy touched literature, art, religion, philosophy, and scholarship. Its outcome was very interesting. The moderns won the battle by arguing that moderns ought to be Greeks and not Romans, Homeric and not Virgilian, critical and not dogmatic, egalitarian and not despotic. And if, I, if I'm taking us back to 1700, let's say, still over the last three centuries, this battle of the books and the battle of the struggle between ancients and moderns is not over. Um, uh, we all of us uh, recall the cultural wars of the 1980s, which in the US may start again given the recent elections, and the dead white uh, European males and so on. What makes modern Greece modern is that it is constantly caught in a dispute about modernity's Hellenic identity. And in comparison of this identity with other ideals, such as the Hebraic one. That is why, as testified by hundreds and hundreds of cartoons from around the world commenting on the current crisis, any discussion of contemporary Greece must also consider her place within Western classicism. Number two. In this framework, a particularly forceful position is taken by those moderns who claim that they are the true Greeks of modernity because they do not imitate the ancients but constitute a radically new Hellenism. That probably starts with um, Friedrich Hölderlin. Here, let us recall German idealism in philosophy, French taste, Jeffersonian architecture, Arnoldian culture versus anarchy and barbarism, modern dance, homosexuality, Odysseus in fiction, Dionysus in opera and theater, the flourishing of tragedy in Africa, uh, uh, film with Greek themes in Latin America, and so on. The list is very long and impressive. These claims about an authentically modern Hellenism put in a very challenging position people who speak Greek, have Greek lineage, live in Greek lands, 
celebrate Greek traditions, and in general, embrace their ethnic heritage. Is Hellenic identity something they need to prove or practice? And who is threatening to question, appropriate, or discredit it? Three. As one of its responses to Western Hellenism, modern Greek culture invented its own Hellenism, which is a topos under the earth, above the sky, beyond borders, outside reality, and independent of rule. Even when it encompasses the land, the sea, the sun, and the birds, this Greece is transcendental. It is something to contemplate and not inhabit. While Westerners since the Romantics, while Westerners since the Romantics wander, WA, Greeks dwell. Consider topographical ideals from Megali Idea to Romeocini, poetry from Solomos' The Free Besieged to Elitis' The Axionisti, Aftos Otopos O Micros Omegas, painting from Nicolaos Gizis to Sotiris Sorogas, and essays from Spiridon Zambelius to Stelios Ramphus, Topos Peruranius. The modernity of their Hellas consists in its transhistorical essence, Usia, and its transubstantiated presence, Parousia. Four. Together with the transcendental domain under the sole jurisdiction of nature, Greek culture constructs a myth of cosmic injustice. According to it, throughout the centuries, Greeks have been attacked, occupied, enslaved, exploited, yet they always rebel. What makes Greece modern is the collective belief in a grand narrative of resistance to all authority. Since the time of the quarrel, the ancients have been portrayed as Romans exercising their administrative, legal, military, and physical might. Today's Greeks are modern by not obeying any rule, whether Roman or Western Hellenic. This defiant narrative fits into the framework of the quarrel, but at its extreme edge. It finds its supreme celebration in hugely popular songs that still echo in large stadia. Ποια νυχτοδία το φως σου έχει πάρει και σε ποιο γαλαξία να σε βρω εδώ είναι Αττική, Θεόντα Μάρη και εγώ ένα πεδίο βολής φτηνό που ασκούνται βρίζοντας ξένη παντάρι. Another one. Ελλάδα γλώσσα τυφλή στη γεωγραφία, Ελλάδα οικόπεδο και απικία. Παραπονεμένα λόγια έχουν τα τραγούδια μας γιατί τάδικο το ζούμε μέσα από την κούνια μας. And we couldn't, of course, not quote Καζαντζίδης. Η μισή καλή σε μοναστηριού κελί και η άλλη στο τρελάδικο από κακό και Greek-speaking Orthodox people who in the late 17th and 18th centuries excelled in trade and the professions all over the Mediterranean and Europe 
became Greeks by entering an agonistic dialectic with other Europeans who advocated Hellenism as a cultural path to modernization, what Schiller would call the aesthetic education of man. Those successful merchants, doctors, and administrators entered modernity by becoming Greek. That is why, since that time, to Greeks' identity has been an agonistic engagement with antiquity, with the legacy of the ancient regime, a quarrel through artistic and intellectual practices over who is entitled to being recognized as Greek. Thank you. Sathis Kalivas. I have a couple of slides to motivate uh, discussion today. And uh, I may, I'll make three points, unlike the four points that Vasilis made. Um, the first is that the question of modernity in Greece raises a fundamental contradiction. The second one, that this contradiction creates a predicament. And then the third one, uh, as a synthesis, I'm going to try to argue that it calls also for a reframing of the question as a way out of that predicament. What is the contradiction? That modern Greece often fails the test of modernity. And in fact, all the discussions about the crisis brought home this point that Greece is insufficiently or unsuccessfully modern. Um, and in fact, uh, this is a view shared by scholars in Greece. I put up this uh, title by, by Nikos Muzelis, not only because he was a professor here at the LSE, but because the title, Greece, Facets of Underdevelopment, points to that idea that Greece cannot manage uh, or fails to be modern. So that is the contradiction. The question, of course, here is why is Greece saddled with this adjective, modern? And, of course, the answer is that it's a practical way to contrast modern Greece with ancient Greece. Uh, but, of course, there are two questions that come to mind when thinking about that. The first is that the term modern Greece is not a term used by the Greeks themselves. And the second one is that it's not a term that is used generally for uh, countries that have a connection with an ancient civilization. We don't speak of ancient and modern China or ancient and modern Egypt. And I genuinely do not know why Greece has that adjective attached to it. Um, and it's an interesting question to address historians, perhaps. So that is a parenthesis. So the connection between Greece, ancient and modern version uh, is incredibly important, very crucial for both Greece's identity and, as Vasilis pointed out, for bigger debates. But at the same time, it comes at a very high cost. And that's the second point. That's the predicament. The cost is that you are destined to lose whenever you compete against ancient Greece. There's no way you can do better than that, given the perception of ancient Greek civilization. Um, and of course, the more you try to measure up, the more you are bound to disappoint. It's an endless, it's a Sisyphean struggle. And not only that, but you are going to disappoint yourself. And this explains the insecurity, the constant insecurity characterizing modern Greek culture, the fact that it is not good enough uh, that it does not manage to be where it is meant to be 
both vis-a-vis others, but also vis-a-vis the Greeks themselves. So that's the predicament. So as a way of concluding, is there a way out of this predicament that is set up by this contrast between antiquity and modernity? And and that's my... uh, idea about how to uh, rethink this problem, which came to me when I was doing the research for this book that um, Kevin mentioned, um, of how to think about Greece. Very simply, I would argue that we can see Greece either as the modern version of this ancient civilization or some sort of synthesis of modernity and antiquity along the lines that Basilis has pointed out right now, or we can think of it in a completely different way, uh, as a country that represents uh, a trend to the future in the 19th century, that of late modernizers. And in fact, you can read modern Greek history in a very different light as a a way to introduce the experience of the 20th century, but much earlier. And what is very interesting when you read um, modern Greek history that way is you discover that it's not an unmitigated failure, especially in comparison to a glorious ancient civilization, but has a lot of redeeming points, and I'm going to remind you of some of those. So what are those highlights? If you look at the history of the Greek state, it is self-consciously, from the very moment it is conceived, before it's even created, it's conceived as uh, a self-conscious outpost of European modernity in what a lot of people, including the Greeks themselves, think is a backward corner of the Ottoman Empire. So there is, from the very beginning, this idea of um, bringing Europe in a region which in the past may have been associated with um, highest achievements, but in the present of its day was not. The second thing that you can see uh, in uh, the survey of modern Greek history is a set of very ambitious projects, such as early state building in a very um, inamicable environment, uh, a democratic and parliamentary revolution at a very early time, very early introduction of the democratic franchise, uh, and the attempt to create economic development in a way that reminds uh, of the process that a lot of post-colonial nations undertook in the 20th century. Uh, Greece has been the site of a very successful land reform, uh, which is one of the most difficult uh, things to achieve, a very uh, extensive, difficult, and in the end successful program of refugee resettlement, uh, a process of economic takeoff uh, at the end of the Second World War, which was called by many at the time the Greek miracle, and of course the attempt to become part of the European Union, including the attempt to adopt a currency uh, that led to the recent crisis. And I, I was, I was, I'm going to argue that a lot of these uh, very ambitious processes produced tremendous failures because they were so ambitious, but at the same time left more on the ground than what was lost. So in a nutshell, I would argue that the modern Greek experience brings into a very, very sharp focus the challenges of transplanting Western institutions in what are essentially non-Western lands. Of course, if you see Greece as the modern version of ancient Greece, you don't see the question from that light. And I would argue as well that uh, Greece offers a condensed preview of the trials and tribulations of the developing world's quest to achieve what has been described as modernity. 
The key implication of that perspective is that we can see Greece not necessarily as a sort of failed European polity that has dominated not just the recent crisis, but a string of Greece's failures, especially during uh, the second half of the 19th century, but also the 20th century. But we can see it perhaps as the most successful post-Ottoman polity, as the most successful state to emerge out of the lands of the Ottoman Empire and perhaps as a very successful post-imperial or post-colonial entity. And so to conclude, I would say that from that provocative perspective, what is modern about Greece is not the achievement of modernity per se, but the relentless, dogged, and overall, overall quite successful pursuit of this modernity by a country that has been a late beginner uh, in the uh, attempt to achieve uh, elements. So that would be my point, and I'm throwing that for the discussion later on. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good evening. Uh, my perspective is a little bit different uh, because I do not work on uh, modern Greece, at least not as it, as it is defined. I don't work on the nation state of Greece. Um, I work on uh, what used to be considered the, the dark period uh, of uh, uh, Ottoman rule. Uh, but which has actually received a lot of academic attention recently, uh, not only uh, in the U.S. Uh, and in Western Europe, uh, but in Greece as well. And I have to say that I love this period, uh, and I uh, try and convey to my students uh, my own conviction that the Greeks have uh, a fascinating uh, and perhaps maybe even uh, a uniquely fascinating history. And I want to emphasize that I work on the Greeks, not on Greece, not on a territory, uh, but in fact, the Greek people. I wasn't always so confident in my uh, exuberance about uh, the fascination of the history of the Greeks. When I uh, first came to Princeton many years ago, where I teach, um, I was quite anxious about being at Princeton. I was also anxious about my professional identity. I was an Ottoman historian at a time when Ottoman history was not yet hot as it is today. Um, so I worked on this um, rather obscure empire. Uh, but I didn't even work on uh, Muslims in this empire. I worked on Christians in this empire, which put me in an even odder place. And I looked with envy at my colleagues who did something solid like France or Germany. And they had a sure place. Well, I can say I can tell you that this is completely flipped uh, in the academy today. Uh, for better or for worse, there's a declining interest uh, in nation-state history. This is something that we talked a lot about today. And there's an all-consuming interest in post-national, transcultural, cross-cultural, um, non-state history. Uh, and the Greeks excel at this. So what I would argue today is I'm not, I don't know, and I might say a few words at the end, whether the Greek state is modern or not. I'm dubious about, questions, about framing questions that way. But I can say um, that in accordance with today's academic trends, Greek history in the period that I study it is very, very modern indeed. And it has everything that people are looking for today. And this is what I tell my undergraduates. 
Uh, I tell them that the history of the Greeks uh, is much bigger um, than the history of the modern state of Greece, uh, and there's a whole huge Greek history that is also not antiquity, okay? uh, which was never the, the Greece that captured my attention. The Greece that captured my attention was to walk down the main commercial street in Beolu in Istanbul and to wonder why there were Greek um, letters on the buildings there, uh, to wonder why an icon uh, at a monastery in Jericho had Greek letters uh, uh, around the icon to wonder why the Russian alphabet looked like the Greek alphabet. Uh, this was the Greek world that fascinated me and continues to fascinate me. And I tell my students if they know something, they know less and less about European history, but if they know something about Central Europe, uh, they'll know that uh, um, for a long time in Central Europe, whether you were Bohemian, whether you were Polish, uh, whether you were a Slovakian, if you wanted to enter public life and intellectual life, you learned German and you wrote in German. And they can grasp that, and I say transplant that to southeastern Europe, to uh, Anatolia to a certain extent, and even the, the, the Near East. Uh, and that, that place for Christians uh, was held by uh, the Greek language. Whether your mother tongue was Albanian uh, or Bulgarian, uh, 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 Syriac, uh, even Turkish, if you were Christian and you wanted to stop being a villager, you wanted to move to the city, you wanted to get an education, you wanted to become worldly, you wanted to be a merchant, you wanted to move up in the world, uh, then you became Greek. Uh, and this was uh, a civilization that endured for centuries and centuries and centuries, and much of it is still with us um, today, although obviously uh, nationalism has uh, severely um, damaged it. The Greeks are also fascinating to me uh, because they have an identity that is uh, civilizational, uh, by which I mean it's an identity that people can join. We know this going all the way back to the Hellenistic age. Uh, so it's an identity that waxes and wanes. Okay? There are times when the Hellenizing project um, is very powerful, uh, and there are times when the Hellenizing project is weak. Uh, in a recent work, I, um, uh, I just finished um, uh, sort of a, a recent project I was working on. It's interesting that in the 16th century, when the Vlachs come down from the mountains in the Ottoman Empire, okay, they convert to Islam. In the 18th century, when the Vlachs come down from the mountains, uh, they become Greeks. This is also a, a, a fascinating dynamic that goes on for centuries. Greeks are also people in the middle. Uh, Christians in a Muslim world, people have a, a hard time both historiographically and historically figuring out uh, where they fit. I've written a lot about this in my own work after the battle or during the Battle of Lepanto uh, in, uh, between the Venetians, and, well, between the Holy League and the Ottomans in 1571. The Venetians try and figure out which Greeks were f fighting on the Ottoman side, the sailors, and they're going to kill them, and which Greeks were fighting on the Venetian side, and they have tremendous difficulty uh, doing this. The Greeks are on every side uh, of the issue, and they, they pose a constant problem for the Europeans, not so much for themselves, about where they fit. And I find that uh, fascinating as well. The Greeks in the 19th century present the stark contrast between an imperial vision and a national vision. 
as they have the national project that is now competing with the, I would say, ongoing uh, commitment uh, uh, to the Ottoman Empire. And this is also makes them uh, a people of interest today uh, as people wonder about other forms of organizing political life uh, beyond the national. Of course, the Greeks have always been global and international, found in every corner uh, of the earth, uh, uh, pursuing uh, every kind of profession. And um, I want to make one more point about what's, what is particular about the period that I study. In this period, of course, the Greeks did not uh, have their own state. And what we find, uh, in part because they didn't have their own state, but in part because they were so international, okay, is that Greek history and the location of the Greeks is far greater um, than Greek sources alone. Most of my work uh, has been in uh, Ottoman sources and in Italian sources. When I worked in the uh, Ottoman archives in Crete, the people there somewhat prematurely said to me, what are you interested in? I said, I'm interested in merchants. They said, Muslim merchants? They said, no, any merchants. They said, well, you won't find Greeks in these documents, although they couldn't read them. Because the idea was, if it's in the Ottoman script, Greeks aren't in there, okay. uh, which isn't the case. So I also want to emphasize uh, that part of the complication and fascination of Greek history uh, also shows up in the many, many uh, different uh, languages uh, in which Greek history is written. Thank you. Thank you for those uh, three contributions. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to welcome other contributions as well. Um, I wonder if I could just make one point myself. I hadn't prepared anything, but um, of course, Greece is a case where Europe and modern has often been seen to be synonymous. I was looking recently at a set of indicators about governance, about government performance. If you Google the World Bank and you Google uh, uh, government performance, governance, effectiveness, then from the World Bank you can get something like over 30 indicators. These are public opinion polls, these are expert assessments, and these are objective data about uh, performance. If you look at those indicators, and I'm not suggesting uh, it is the end of the story by any means whatsoever, but it raises an interesting question. These indicators from the World Bank cover the period from the early 1990s 2012, well into the current crisis. On each of those indicators, there is one stunning convergence. It is the convergence of the Greek case with its Balkan neighbors. In other words, if you look at those different indicators of government performance, government effectiveness, Greece becomes rather more Balkan, as it were, in the picture and it moves away from the major European states. It moves away from France and Germany, nor is it a southern European pattern, because uh, Spain and Portugal 
on, those, uh, on that data is actually converging with uh, the central core European states, as it were. Greece, quite differently, is converging uh, with its Balkan neighbours. So I simply raise that as a, as a comment about uh, Greece and its convergence with Europe in a context in which we often find Western Europe, at least, synonymous with being modern. Uh, it isn't only the present economic crisis, but even before that, that seems to make Greece look increasingly Balkan, as it were in terms of its system of governance and it's in, in terms of the, the relationship between state and society. Well, that's one brief um, extra contribution. We have a plethora of expertise and can I now welcome you to uh, make contributions on this theme. The question is, what is modern about modern Greece? Please, uh, who would like to start? Could we take the, uh, our friend here? Yes, oh, I'm sorry, yes, there's a microphone to come to you. Uh, people are going to exercise very well. If you could just say who you are and then make your point. My name is Constantine Buher. I'm right on Greece and I broadcast on Greece. 20% um, of the Greek income is from tourism. This week we had World Travel Market, which is the most important tourist market in the world probably and my research was to find out what kept Greece afloat during the years when Greece was Athens was burning what transpired is that it is not the input of the Greek government being present at the world travel market it's about 20% the rest of the image of the Greek image which kept it alive as a positive brand is advertising for Greek style yogurt on British television which showed a comforting, reliable brand during those years. It's uh, Joanna Lumley going around Greece and doing four programs on Greece, which was repeated on television. It was um, another insurance that showed someone playing the bouzouki. In other words, the Greek brand functioned independently of Greece, independently of Greek input, which means that the um, travel um, as traveling estates were able to function without uh, any stability in Greece. So what is modern Greece? Is it, Stathis Kalivas said, the Greeks trying to live up to ancient Greece. What is being sold and what is keeping Greece afloat, so it transpired, is people are being offered the possibility to live it, to live the ancient Greek dream. So it's this an antithesis between these two. Okay, thanks. I'm going to ask our panelists to um, remain um, listening to you rather than making extra contributions. Uh, could we take the contribution from here? Okay, yeah. I think there was a problem with the microphone on that occasion. I had difficulty uh, following that. Could we have the microphone here then, please? Uh, the gentleman with his hand up. Yeah, Bernard Casey from University of Warwick and the Hellenic Observatory. Um, I wanted to pick up on this convergence notion partly that, uh, that, that Kevin produced because it's not just a question of the governance indicators which show that. I'm an economist and I used to look at these countries um, in the light of new members of the European Union and the story that was being put to people around about 2004 what can European membership do for you 
And when one looked at the arguments about economic convergence, it was remarkable that all the other cases had lines going up except the case of Greece. So Greece did stand out, it stood out on economic performance terms and not just on governance performance terms, although I think those two are deeply interrelated. Thanks. Would any of our guests like to uh, make a contribution at this stage? Please, Jose. I'm Costi Dias from Lisbon, Portugal. So I think that all, all of the contributions until now have um, intensified the question which I think is very important. It's the identity question. So the reframing of identity and the construct of uh, cultural identity. And I think that is even today a problem in Greece because I was asked to, to write a, a, at least an article they wanted a book but at least an article on Greek identity and culture and it was very difficult, I'm still thinking about it because I'm, I'm really afraid of you know, um, writing about this issue which is a very sensitive issue uh, on the other hand, uh, what, what is modern? I mean, the concept of modernity, is it modern in a modernity sense? If it is modernity, so it's Western concept. And there, in Western concept, there is this Greece as a territory, as a mental territory, which is not actual Greece. I mean, there are several Greeces, if I should, uh, uh, if you allow me to say that. And which, which Greece are we speaking about? Is it the mythical, the cultural construct, mental territory of Greece in Western thought? And the uses of this, the, the ideological uses of this concept in Western culture? Or is it, for instance, Greek nationalism, the topic one? I mean, just sometimes I think about... Um, other uh, trends in nationalism in, in Greece, like, for instance, uh, um, all, all the authors that were not accepting the Western uh, Hellenic uh, idea of nationalism. It's, it's a cultural construction. I mean, even the idea of nationalism in Greece is in somehow imported from, from, from Western Europe into Greece itself. If you read uh, all these trends of uh, authors, uh, I think it's very clear. So this, there is this constant tension between uh, um, Byzantine uh, thoughts and uh, Hellenic thought in the, in the Western sense of the word, which is a productive tension culturally, but it it touches the very identity question issue itself, and it's complicated. Thank you. Other contributions? Let's have the gentleman here, please. Hi there. Uh, I'm from Hong Kong, and I'm an IT worker. What I want to say is I actually see some very striking um, well, similarities between Greece and Hong Kong. It might be surprising, but you let mean me it's going to be taken over by China. Uh, <laughs> let me get to that. Actually, as I said, there were four points. The first is, of course, the overshadowing of both places by a huge, I won't say superpower, but certainly a huge political entity for Hong Kong, mainland China, and for Greece, the EU, of course, 
both are overshadowing both places, not only politically but also economically. And the outcome and the grievances that generated is you just have to read the papers. That's the first point. The second point is of co- is um yes uh, yes the. The deterioration or the fading influence of its culture. Well, for as I you have mentioned, uh, Greek was used to be a very com- um, common language around the similar region. And same as Hong Kong, we're speaking in Cantonese, which has uh, deep, uh, deeper roots into, into the ancient Chinese language. But we are also under the attack or, or the f- growing influence of Mandarin, which is the northern Chinese tongue. And obviously, the, the Cantonese language is currently under fire. Not to, and of course, uh, as I understand, the Greek language is not as influential as it once was. And uh, I think the third point is, um, yes. Uh, yes. Come back to it. Come back to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll, you can uh, uh, you yeah, can yeah. intervene again. Uh, uh, yes, last point, the rise of nationalism. Yes. Rise of nationalism. Yes, obviously, recently uh, we heard about the protests going in Hong Kong and there are increasing grievances uh, towards uh, identity towards being Chinese. And um, some of them are actually uh, advocating Hong Kong independence. And as I've said, um, the rise of nationalism, uh, of course, probably not politically, Correct. Okay, that's good. Thank yeah. you. Gentleman here. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, if we can go here first. Yeah, uh, hi. Uh, my name is Achilles Kajigiriagu. I'm the cultural counselor of Cyprus High Commission. Uh, very interesting point raised. And uh, I had to add more questions to the already very interesting question that's up there. But I do think that uh, to answer the question, what is modern about modern Greece, we should first address the question, what is modern about modernity? And what kind of modernity are we talking about? For me, modernity is synonymous with change. But uh, this can be viewed as a change, as an inner process within Greece, viewed by Greeks or an outgoing process of comparison of uh, Greece with its neighbors or in a global context. So we should better talk about modernities. But at this point, I'm wondering, uh, how can we perceive change in Greece? Because there's a lot of change happening. And from different perspectives and different disciplines within the academia, we can see this change Flourishing. So, uh, yes, it is a very interesting question indeed. Okay, good. Thank you. Can we take the gentleman? Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. Can we? Can you just pass the microphone forward? Uh, we have to get around a lot of people. Please. No, no. It's coming here. Yeah. Hi, um, Elias Denanis. I'm a professor at Hellenic Observatory. I think. Uh, all three um, speakers alluded to an important distinction, but you haven't mentioned it. And this is a distinction not only between classic Greece and modern Greece, but also between modern Greece and modern Greeks. Mm-hmm. I think there's no question that was always small, and the Greeks were always and this distinction has been retained. How modern Greeks are, modern Greeks at least, or contemporaneous Greeks. And I think the real question is this dualism. How modern Greeks can coexist in a non-modern Greece? 
Thank you. Thank you. Can we use this microphone? Maybe better. Uh, the gentleman here, Roddy Beaton, in fact. <clears throat> if you do it nice and loud, please, Roddy. Roderick, Roderick Beaton, King's College, London. Um, I very much welcome, Stathis, your uh, your reframing of the of the uh, the, <clears throat> of the whole question, and. Um, I think particularly the way you're, you're talking about the positive sides of you know, the, the great achievement of, of the modern Greeks is perhaps, among other things, modern Greece itself. Um, and I very much look forward to your uh, book. I hope it's going to be forthcoming soon. Um, <clears throat> my only question is really, you know, I would question to what extent Greece, Greeks are, are only late modernizers. In some ways, I would suggest they're actually rather precocious modernizers. Um, let's remind ourselves, um, because standard histories of Europe never seem to say this, that uh, the Greek Revolution was the first successful national liberal revolution in the old world. It's worth thinking about that. You know, the French Revolution wasn't entirely successful first time round. <clears throat> so Greece internationally recognises sovereign nation state in 1830 is way ahead of the pack. It invents the nation state on the ground before it exists really anywhere else in the old world. It's, it's there in the United States, in South America, um, but not in the old world. In, in the old world. Um, how did they achieve that? The price, I would suggest, that the Greeks paid for that precocious achievement was a massive con. They were successful in presenting to the, the crowned heads of Europe, the most conservative people you know, in, the, in the century, an entirely new polity as the restoration of something so old you couldn't possibly object to it if you were a conservative. And that, I would suggest, right back to 1830, the Protocol of London, recognising Greek sovereignty, that's the origin of the predicament that both you and Vasilis were talking about. Thank you. Um, can we also continue here, please? Uh, yes, this is related. Status Gurguris, Columbia University. Uh, I, I welcome very much all three presentations. I think they complemented uh, uh, each other very well um, and um, created a kind of interesting uh, disjunction that usually doesn't isn't happening in these sort of discussions between the adjective modern and the uh, concept of modernity. Um, first of all, uh, the adjective modern, as, as it was, we, we know and it was, we were told very well, is uh, only uh, uh, is only conferred uh, is only particular to uh, Greeks. This, this is not uh, true of any other um, um, state or culture in the contemporary sphere, uh, and it is, of course, entirely conferred by others. As Stathis pointed out, uh, no Greeks think of themselves as modern Greeks. Uh, <laughs> Um, so the, from that standpoint, the answer what is modern about modern Greece is very simply nothing. Uh, it's not modern uh, because the adjective carries with it a very, very specific uh, content that we, are, that we saw presented very well. However, in, in all three uh, presentations, there are very interesting notions of modernity. That, are, that contrast with typical um, uh, Western sort of European notions. In Vasilis's case, there is a, uh, a, a, an interesting idea that, that, that the Greeks themselves invent a certain sense of themselves as defiant against uh, um, you know, authority structures, and that itself uh, uh, constitutes their modernity. In um, Stasis' case, it seems to me the, the striving towards modernity 
which is both precocious but also belated. I don't think that the precocious actually abolishes the belated, and that is also an interesting discussion to have. Uh, creates another sort of modernity that is particular to Greeks. And of course, uh, Molly did very well in showing us how the recent understanding, in, at least in the academic sphere, of uh, what is the pre-modern is now becoming a blueprint for understanding all kinds of modern elements, uh, including the, the, the diasporic, the, 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 the regional, the uh, you know, so-called multicultural, and so on. These are very, in fact, contemporary adjectives. So, this is, so from that, the second standpoint, what is modern about modern Greece uh, gives us options that uh, will, will enable us to elude or evade these uh, uh, um, uh, this cloud of, of, of uh, the modernity of Greece that isn't uh, European, that isn't in fact modernity. Thank you. Could we take uh, Richard Clogg over here, please? Uh, Richard Clogg of the University of Oxford, retired, I may say. I should like to take issue with the title of this evening's debate What is Modern? about modern Greece. It seems to me that the second modern is redundant. Italy, like Greece, had a great... Uh, Richard, could you just put it in the microphone? We can't hear you. Yeah. Um, Go back a little bit. Italy, like Greece, had a great heritage in, in antiquity, but a title such as what is modern about modern Italy would not make a great deal of sense. Greece is the only country in the world which is routinely prefaced by the epithet modern. So we speak of modern Greece, modern Greek, even of modern Greeks. Uh, I'm currently working on a history of the Greek diaspora in modern times, but what might have been an appropriate title for such a book, namely The Greeks Overseas, has already been appropriated by an Oxford colleague, John Boardman. And his book on the Greeks overseas is about the uh, Greek colonies in the ancient world. Uh, Not, as one might normally expect, uh, about the present-day worldwide Greek uh, diaspora. It seems to me that you know, in, in the future, we should talk not about modern Greece, but about Greece. Greece and medieval Greece, and uh, ancient Greece. But the more, we, we should ca- recapture the term Greece for, for the present uh, uh, state of Greece. I, I've written two short histories of uh, uh, modern, in inverted commas, Greece. The first was entitled A Short History of Modern Greece. The second, uh, covering broadly the same uh, ground, uh, um, is called uh, simply A Concise History of Greece. And I might say that in parenthesis, the uh, title of the Chinese translation of my Concise History of Greece is apparently, I say apparently because I don't of course read Chinese, the title in Chinese is The State That Missed Out on Progress, The Road to Modernization in Greece. Uh, I don't really like the idea of translators uh, developing an entirely new title for my, 
work, but it's an interesting thought. He got one of the messages in, in the book. It seems to me that by continuing to talk of modern Greece in inverted commas, he simply reinforced the progonoplexia, the ancestor complex, if you like, or the ancestoritis, as some people have called it, or the archaeolatria, the worship of antiquity, which are such pronounced features of the official discourse about Greek identity. It could be argued, I think, that progonoplexia and archaeolatria are, in fact, hindrances to the modernization of the country. Thank you. Thank you very much. Other contributions? We exhausted this uh, Dimitri. I wonder to what extent, Ed Dimitri Giovas from the University of Birmingham, uh, I wonder to what extent uh, the whole concept of modern Greece is a Western invention. So it could be part of the Western Hellenism. And you could see that, that many Greek students coming to, to Britain, they go to a bookshop and they find uh, a book on Greek history and they think that uh, this is about modern Greece. So in a way, what Vasilis uh, was talking about, Western Hellenism, that uh, the whole concept of modern Greece is uh, a Western construct. Because in other languages, we say Old French or Old Spanish, uh, it's only for modern Greece uh, that talk about modern Greece. And you could see that um, you refer to the cartoons. I mean, uh, the Western stereotypes, when they try to make a connection between ancient and modern Greece, is when they, they make negative comments about the crisis and so on, Greek tragedy uh, and, and, and so on. So they don't make the, the connection or the contrast between modern and uh, classical Greece in, in any other circumstances when uh, there, is, uh, there is a problem. Therefore, the whole concept or the whole contrast between modern and ancient is a Western one. Thank you very much. I wonder if we should uh, give our panelists a couple of minutes to respond to the various points that have been made. Uh, perhaps if we go in reverse order, Molly, would you like to pick up on any points which have been said? Um, I'm certainly not as well informed as, as the other panelists not working on modern Greece, um, but I was very sympathetic to the comment, I forget who made it, that there are several Greeces and there are also several Wests or several modernities. I'm, um, I'm always skeptical when there's a discussion of uh, the West as if there is just one West, and only one West that can be imported. A student of mine is writing a dissertation on the Lebanese Christian merchants who have always been seen as the ultimate westernizers, late 19th, early 20th century, and what he has shown is what they imported um, was the aristocracy of, 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 of the ancien regime that was dying in Europe, this sort of very conservative European vision. That was the Europe that attracted them, not, we assume, the entrepreneurial uh, Europe of you know, of other values. Um, so there are many, many um, Wests, just as there are um, several Greeces. And I say this particularly, and here I'm speaking now really not as an academic, um, I say this as an American um, <clears throat> because I think America is um, 
I think it's very problematic to put the U.S. and Europe together and to consider them um, the West. Uh, there is a, an assumption that the, um, when we talk about the West, that the Enlightenment has triumphed, um, that we all believe in science, uh, that we uh, can assume that there are facts, uh, and that modernity is secular. And I would say none of those things um, are true in, in the U.S., and I'd say they're increasingly untrue. Uh, and I spent, uh, three years ago, I spent the year in Turkey, and I was very struck by how often the debates in Turkey uh, reminded me of the U.S., a country that's uh, polarized, both countries uh, polarized along um, uh, religious and cultural lines. Uh, so I'm not, um, uh, I'm not uh, uh, convinced by ideas of the West, and I'm not convinced uh, by the ideas, uh, by this idea that there's one modernity that everybody in the West shares. Thank you. Stephanie. Yes, that is uh, the case. There are different versions uh, of modernity. But what is striking when you look at um, the emergence of Greece in the 19th century and the discussions that follow is, despite various different understandings uh, of what this modernity is, there is a very strong sense of an ideal, typical modernity that's associated with the West. And there is a sense that Greece um, both belongs to that kind of modernity and should strive to achieve it on, a, on an everyday practical basis in terms of institu institutions. Having said that, uh, that becomes part of the conflict within Greece. And of course, we have various versions of, uh, somebody mentioned the dualism of, of Greek politics, the distinction between Greek state and Greek society, the diaspora, and the local people, the, you know, it was a very big debate in the 19th century between the autochthons and the heteroctons, uh, the people who wore different dresses. Patrick Lee Fermore speaks of uh, the Romaic and the Hellenic ideal. So there's always a tension between that. And what is remarkable is that um, the, the achievement of modernity becomes the prize around which those conflicts get articulated. So even though there are various modernities. The idea of sort of an ideal, typical modernity to be achieved is at the center uh, of yeah. the Greek mind and the vision. Yeah, could I just say something? That was precisely the point I wanted to make, although I didn't say it as articulately as you did. Yes, there was precisely this idea of the ideal, typical modernity, which then when you try and achieve it in reality, it's an idea. It, yes. it, it doesn't sort of exist. In fact, I'm reminded of the fact that, that Ataturk, because he considers himself a great westernizer, you know, immediately instituted co-education across, across Turkey at a time, you know, Princeton didn't go co-ed until 1969. There's this idea of the West that is such a tyranny because it doesn't exist. But that's a wonderful example because the fact that it becomes part of the mental world of that's the people who try is. to achieve makes it into a reality. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a, right, but, that, but then, we, then we suddenly start talking about how Greek economic indices aren't performing according to the West. So, so we, move, we move between these mental territories and then this sudden idea, well, there is something that you can, there is this West that, you know, whose performance standards you can meet. We always move between these two. Which brings me to the second point, which is precisely the divergence between those governance indicators um, and the sense of uh, what Greece has achieved. I think there is... Uh, a growing recognition uh, among Greek historians, and that is the best place where that is expressed in terms of, you know, seeing uh, what Greece has uh, managed to achieve as a, as a real achievement is the, the recent synthesis by Kostas Kostis, Takokomathmena uh, Pediat Historias, where he, I think, makes this point very strongly. The idea is not to say that Greece has achieved too much, either what is 
and mythical real modernity of the West or its own version. Certainly, the story of indicators points to a different direction, but I think what matters is the dynamic, is the sense of you know, trying to reach this goal. And that raises the question of um, what do those indicators mean? And there is a divergence among those indicators. So we have a set of indicators that diverge from the European mean. And this probably includes all the governance indicators, also economic competitiveness. Uh, but at the same time, there's a set of other indicators from uh, the GDP per capita, uh, human development index, uh, even uh, down to the economists, what is the best place to be born. In Greece, Greece performs very well. So there is this contradiction between having achieved an, you know, a set of, uh, of goals without having the institutions that match. Set. And uh, one way, perhaps, to understand the divergence uh, is to look at the history of the last 40 years, the history of metapolitics. I don't think that this is necessarily a story that takes us back. In the past, in the 19th century, it was more a history of um, uh, comprehensive divergence. Greece was a poor country with poor institutions. Uh, today, it's a country that is relatively wealthy with poor institutions, but the divergence and the convergence do not move in parallel ways. Um, I thought the points about Hong Kong were very interesting. In fact, it's the, the country that traditionally um, reminds me very much of Greece is, of course, Japan in its attempt to also engineer uh, a projection and a reinvention into a different world, of course, understood various in, through various um, um, frames. What is very interesting in, in, about Hong Kong and where it diverges with Greece is that in Hong Kong there is a very big attempt to uh, sustain, along with, I think, Taiwan, uh, the complicated traditional Chinese, which has been simplified by the current Chinese, uh, main, by, by mainland China, whereas in Greece, that became, of course, a very big matter of cleavage, the linguistic cleavage, which was resolved with the victory of the simplifiers, not the other way around. Uh, and a final point about the Roderick Beaton's idea um, of a con game, so to speak, that is being played either from the Greeks' perspective or, or the other, in the other direction. There's been a tremendous amount um, of rhetorical use by the Greeks themselves of, of the ancient Greek legacy in order to achieve results. But very often when you look um, at the interaction, and, and this is very visible, I think, uh, in the uh, negotiations to make Greece a member of the European Economic Community in the early 1980s, uh, you get a sense that nobody is really conned. That you know, you have two games: the game that is playing on the surface, in which people make arguments about Greece, ancient Greece, and people who are pretend to believe them, and then you have a second game underneath that, in which nobody really believes in that uh, game. Uh, and there is a very interesting uh, book that just came out by Irini Karamuzi here at the, uh, was at the LSE, showing precisely that both sides understood that the rhetorical arguments they use in order to justify their decisions didn't really match their true uh, beliefs and interests. But nevertheless, this, they used them because they had such symbolic uh, resonance. Thanks. In the book by Irini Karamuzi of this uh, August institution, she quotes uh, Valérie uh, Giscard d'Estaing as saying that uh, Greece has to be a core member of the then European community because Plato cannot be in the second division. Vasily. Uh, <laughs> I will only make... <clears throat> 
a uh, remark not about Greece but about um, what we call modern Greek studies. Uh, it's very interesting to me and uh, encouraging that um, if we look back at, um, or let me start from another angle, basically the evolution of the field. Uh, uh, history, literary studies, anthropology, and so on, has been, um, if I may call it so, a deconstructive one in the traditional, in the, in the orthodox sense of the word, in that all of us in our um, uh, respective fields have been taken apart, uh, not destroyed, but just um, uh, uh, taken apart, to see how this construct that to the founders of the field, let's say in terms of you know, Modern Greek Studies Association, uh, late 1960s in the US, to those people um, who, who established the first association and started uh, systematically building uh, programs, the unity of Greece, the continuity of Greece, the meaningfulness of Greece in every respect was very obvious. And that's why they could you know, go out, fight for it, um, fundraise for it, and so on. To us, it's not. And that's a very good and productive thing, that um, we have become, we, we um, uh, equally committed to the field or the discipline or this um, convergence of uh, disciplinary interests. But to us, just a few decades later, there is no Greece. There are Greeks, and there are or there are Gre everything has been pluralized in a very interesting um, way. And I think we have entered this new. We have gradually and productively entered this new era, whereby uh, things become more interesting. We don't strive for unity. We don't strive for a for a totality. Uh, and instead we are able to discern facets, periods, possibilities, lost opportunities, and so on. And I think the field um, is more, uh, I think across uh, uh, the world, is more interesting than ever. Thank you. I'm just concerned about uh, the time. Perhaps we can take uh, two more contributions, Bernard and Macrich. I don't want to appear merely as a vulgar economist here, because actually when I'm not doing economics, I occupy myself with the study of late antiquities. I want to actually pick up on something which Molly said, and some of the ideas that she had about a kind of language of civilization, trade and justice for a sort of diaspora. I was interested in... Byzantium. That's what I'm fascinated in when I'm not interested in pensions and resolving problems of demographic aging. Byzantium was always sort of presented, or it tends to be presented to us in the West as something which is actually very anti-modern. If we actually sort of, there's a period we haven't talked about. We've talked about classical Greece, we've talked about modern Greece, but we haven't actually talked about that thing which persisted somewhere in between, which actually lasted for an extraordinarily long time and was actually in many ways extraordinarily successful. 
when I think about the problems of the European Union, I think about how people used to study the United States of America and how that came together and whether the European Union could do the same thing. Byzantium actually, for a thousand years, kept a very heterogeneous group of people together with a certain sense of identity with many different languages, but with certain commonalities. And in that sense, there is something which is remarkably modern, which perhaps we deserve and we perhaps we ought to try and learn a little bit more from. So I actually say, you know, kind of, if we're looking at modernity and we're looking at Greece, let's look at that thing in the middle as well as the things that perhaps, perhaps more people wept about the decline of Byzantium than the European Union. Uh, can we go, we'll come back, can we go to Peter Mackridge over here? Yeah, Peter Mackridge from the University of Oxford, retired. Um, I don't know whether you can hear me. I can't hear myself. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, one of the things I liked about Molly Green's presentation was that she refused to answer the question, what is modern about modern Greece? It's a totally misconceived question, of course. Um, I, uh, Professor Kalivas um, quoted Nikos Mouzelis uh, uh, as writing uh, that Greece often uh, fails the test of modernity. Um, I find that idea, totally repugnant both morally and, uh, and, and politically, uh, the idea that um, there is a kind of sat test for modernity which, uh, which countries pass or, or fail, because that's, those sat tests are set by Westerners, not by the West of course, but by Westerners. The Westerners set the goals, the Westerners set the, set the questions and the Westerners mark the scripts. Uh, and, you know, it leaves Greece out, Greece out completely as agents in their own destiny. Uh, so I would like to, uh, that's really what all I wanted to say. I mean, I'm glad that, um, that some people have been avoiding the question this evening. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, I'm afraid, in the, and then we take the question here, please, as well. Eleni is coming from your right. Um, I'm Helen Lurie, and um, um, I'm visiting professor at the Hellenic Observatory for this term. Can you speak up? That it, please. Yeah. Hello. I'm Helen Lurie, and uh, I'm an economist and visiting professor at the Hellenic Observatory for, for this term. Going back to the idea of convergence, I'd like to say that convergence is not necessarily a linear process. What's important is uh, to have a look at the long run. And uh, if you see, you know, the long run, I mean, who can say that in the last years there hasn't been a convergence to modern uh, values or, or to modern uh, indicators? So, okay, I mean, we are all, we are all influenced by the recent uh, crisis, which has been uh, a very um, deep crisis, but then uh, we could see that as a deep business cycle or as a deep business, political and business cycle, but then it doesn't mean that convergence will not happen again. So uh, it's not a linear process, and I do believe that because there are other indicators which are there, like infrastructure, I mean, the bridge you saw, and the you know, other infrastructure, uh, or, or education. I mean, Greece has one of the highest uh, percentages of educated people. I mean, there are other indicators which are there, and which I believe will help uh, the uh, convergence to pick up again at some point. Okay, I think we were looking for reasons to be uh, optimistic at the end, and well, let's uh, leave that comment as the uh, conclusion. I'm concerned about the, the time. 
Um, can I take the opportunity of reminding those people who are going to remain in the UK after this evening that we will have another event in this uh, theatre next Wednesday, and you'll see it uh, flashing in front of you, but we have uh, his eminence, we have uh, Bishop Ignatius uh, from Volus uh, speaking, speaking, yes, on... Uh, Greek Orthodox Church and the Economic Crisis that's uh, this coming Wednesday and you can see the uh, other events as well if you're interested in our public events you can go to the LSE websites and look at the Hellenic Observatory webpages and you can see that there are a number of very interesting public events uh, coming up this evening and today would not have been possible without the support of uh, our two major donors, that is the Society for the Promotion of Contemporary Greek Studies and the Hellenic Foundation for Culture of the UK. So I would like to close by uh, thanking them. But of course, more than that, uh, perhaps it's appropriate at this stage to thank our three speakers and to thank uh, you for your participation in what I think has been a very interesting discussion. We weren't expecting a conclusion. Uh, this is, a, in fact, a postmodern uh, event in that, <laughs> in that uh, context. So, can you please thank you.